my husband always says, he says, you know, I didn't know if I had what it took to succeed, but I knew I had what it took to fail. Like I knew I could hear no more often. I could just show more products to customers and let them decide. And he was like the award-winning salesman within a year. He got into management, he got into training. But here's the funny thing, Tommy, because when he told me that story, I actually was, in my mind, I was a superstar salesperson. Like I, customers loved me. I had like great rapport. But then when he told me that story, I had to get honest with myself. And I did. And I said, you know what? I don't like to hear no. I do shut the sale down. I do make assumptions. And I made assumptions kind of housed under the guise of, customer service, like, oh, I'll decide for them. But really, it wasn't customer service. It was just me not wanting to be told no. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. I've got Andrea Waltz here, and uh, she's an expert in training, marketing, team building, coaching, and public speaking. She's based in Orlando, Florida. She's the founder of Courage Crafters from 2007 to current, Success in 100 Pages founder from 2018 to present, Breakthrough Radio guest expert from 2011 to 2018, Fatten Waltz, APT Retail. That was uh, eight years a while back. (laughs) And... She's the co-author of the best-selling book, Go For No. Yes is the destination. No is how you get there. It's an Amazon number one selling bestseller, which has remained in the top 50 sales books in the last 10 years and over a thousand five stars. She launched her own training company at the age of 24 and is a speaker member of the Direct Selling Women's Alliance. She was named one of the 25 sales experts you should follow on Twitter by HubSpot and 25 sales influencers to follow on Twitter and Salesforce and Live Hive. I actually reached out to you because I think we were at the same event with Cody uh, Bateman and I spoke there, you spoke there, or you were there, and you guys handed me this book and it was sitting on the shelf right here. And one day I just picked it up and I read the whole the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a quick read and the, and I like the fact that I go out and get great people like you. So this book, I think I just, how many did I just buy? You just bought a couple of cases. You, you just bought like 200 books. 200 books. So if you guys haven't read this book yet, I mean, she's got a lot of books, The Million Dollar Year, Fear Factory, Go For No For Network Marketing, The Diamond Line. But th- this is a book though, that literally I coach my guys every day and I'm like, did you go for no? Did we go for no? Did, we don't decide... And I got I got a million questions, but uh, good, good. I wanted to at least give you the intro. I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and talk to us about how you got started in business and sales, and how you came up with these ideas for these books, and then just where you're going, what your goals are. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about what my actual job is now, Tommy, because I I kind of joke that like I wake up every day and figure out how I'm going to help people fail more. <laughs> In other words, like how I'm going to help people hear no more often. That is my mission literally every day. And I mean, who would think that that would be like an actual job and who would even think that, you know, I had no idea. I mean, I was 
I went to school. I went to college. I got a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice. I wanted to be a crime scene investigator before crime scene investigation was like actually a thing before there was like a TV show about it. That was my dream. And while I was doing that, I was working for Lens Crafters, the big eyeglass retailer. And I had kind of worked my way up. And then upon graduation, I really wanted to get a spot on the crime scene investigation team. And there were basically none. And they were like, hey, you can work for free for a couple of years as an intern and then maybe see if something will open up. And then in the meantime, Lens Crafters is over here going like, you're amazing. We're going to promote you. You could be running like a store on your own in no time. And, and actually, I was really interested in making money by that time. I mean, I was just done with school. So um, I went full time with Lens Crafters. I did. I worked my way up. I got into training. Into, I was doing like their two-day orientation training. And I was really getting interested in like customer service philosophies and sales training and all these things. And I met my now husband, Richard, at Lens Crafters. And he was the one who basically taught me the go for no philosophy and told me the go for no story, which is kind of the central story in our book. And I completely like fell in love with it. Like I just, I knew that everyone and anyone needed to hear this message. And so Richard actually convinced me that we should quit our jobs, launch a company where we did speaking and training and taught the messages that we were passionate about, the sales concepts we were passionate about, the customer service stuff that we wanted to teach. And so that's what we did. Like I literally, I was about 25 at that time. I quit and I was cold calling Fortune 1000 retailers, like the people that you see in the mall, literally cold yeah. calling them with no experience, no background, no, like a horrible website, all of it. And just, we literally did go for no in our own business when we launched. I love that story. I, it's like, I, I teach a few things. I do an orientation. I do a three hour orientation. We just had 19 guys graduate yesterday. We took them bowling. It was a blast. <laughs> and they all, it's the first class that every single one of them from apprenticeship up all past the average score was 91% on their test. And, um, you know, I tell guys all the time, like, you don't decide if, if it's good for the customer, they decide. Like, some people go, oh, th they wouldn't be interested in financing. And I'm like, rich people use financing all the time. It's, it's called other people's money. It's inflation going <laughs> out. So, you know, I just love the concept because I used to work at Dillard's in the women's shoes department. Oh, yeah, that was a pain, but um, <laughs> I wish I would have read that book back then because literally that I think that's the premise of the book is when he's at the apparel store selling, it was men's men's clothes, right? Yeah, exactly. And by the way, by the way, so that you working in the shoe department at Dillard's, that is like true character building right there. There is nothing that will build your character faster than selling shoes. I did it myself at Nordstrom. So yeah, it's hardcore. So that, that is the central story. In fact, it's something that happened to Richard. He was selling, he was young. This goes back a long time ago now. And he was selling suits for a living. The guy walked in, said he wanted to buy an entire wardrobe of clothing. Rich has this great sale. And back in those days, it was about $1,100, which was a lot. Like that was a lot. And the district manager, a guy named Harold was there, watched him have this great sale. And then at the end of it, finally came over and asked, asked my husband, like, you know, yeah, you had this great sale out of curiosity. What did that customer say no to? And Richard had to admit that the customer didn't say no to anything that literally like everything he 
showed this guy. The guy basically said yes to. And then Harold asked him the really important question, which is kind of the key. He said, well, then how did you know he was done? And that's when Rich had to admit that he was the one who shut the sale down. And Harold basically told him, he said, you know, I watched you sell. You're not half bad, but your fear of the word no is going to kill you. If you could just learn to get over that, I think you could be one of the great ones. And so my husband always says, he says, you know, I didn't know if I had what it took to succeed, but I knew I had what it took to fail. Like I knew I could hear no more often. I could just show more products to customers and let them decide. And he was like the award-winning salesman within a year. He got into management, he got into training. But here's the funny thing, Tommy, because when he told me that story, I actually was, in my mind, I was a superstar salesperson. Like I, customers loved me. I had like great rapport. But then when he told me that story, I had to get honest with myself. And I did. And I said, you know what? I don't like to hear no. I do shut the sale down. I do make assumptions. And I made the assumptions kind of housed under the guise of customer service. Like, oh, I'll decide for them. But really, it wasn't customer service. It was just me not wanting to be told no. Yeah, you know what? I think all of us have a little bit of a fear of rejection at one point in our lives. I think it's, I call them internal objections. And I see them all the time. And I tell my guys, you know, I have a buddy of mine and he, very good with the ladies. But we were in our mid-20s and I watched him one night. I said, I don't understand it. And I watched him walk up to a group of, of gals and he was talking to them for five minutes. And the next thing you know, they were laughing and he walked away. And then it was another little group. And then, another, and then finally, success for him or whatever. They went on a date or whatever. But the point that I realized when I watched him is he almost felt like he was the prize. And he was almost felt like, hey, if they don't want him, then then shame on them. But he definitely got a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. And he didn't look at it as rejection. He somehow disguised it, I think, in his head that says their loss or whatever it might be. But I just love the fact that that the odds are definitely in the favor of when you continue to get that. And I think the, the cool part of the story is that guy that walked in and then dealt with Richard, that guy might have bought $40,000 worth of stuff. Totally. I think he said 1200 So he might have bought every pair of shoes, 10 pairs of the same pair of shoes, belts, jackets, whatever. But a lot of times we do decide for the clients. We do decide. I've heard so many of my technicians, now we're up to you know, 360 people at the company, about 200 technicians. I hear them say, you know, we're done, that they weren't really happy. Like the bottom rubber, for example, that keeps the bugs out. Mm-hmm. And that's something you don't really see till the door is moving. And I've seen the guys that, yeah, they they weren't really happy about the last thing we offer. So, and I'm like, well, that's not doing them a favor. Why is it that salespeople decide? You know, I don't understand it, but we do all the time. Yeah, I mean, we do. And listen, I mean, you can still be great and this could be an issue. I mean, that's what I found. And it is because I think like kind of where I found myself, which was just, I really wanted to help people and I believed in my product and all of those things, but still we're biologically wired to not be rejected. I mean, that, that is just a fact. And I, I tell people, even when you get your mindset, right, sometimes even physically, like you can't stop the physical reaction. Like if you get a really bad kind of gut wrenching, um, that's why it's called gut wrenching, right? rejection, it's going to sting. Like you're going to have a little bit of pain. And that is just 
evolution, like protecting you. So the whole idea is we do have to kind of, you know, really work on our mindset and really build it up to where it's like, you feel that feeling and you go like, it's okay. It's just the feeling that we're born with. And I'm not going to let this slow me down. I'm not going to let this stop me. This is just totally normal. Yeah. You know, I, I look at my top, the best sales guys in the company and I don't, sometimes I don't like the word sales because I feel like we're the best customer experience and they don't mind the awkward silence. They don't love the word no. They don't mind when it's opposition. They, they don't mind those uncomfortable times where the customer... And when I watch the best of the best, it's almost like they don't even pay attention to it. They just glide right over it. It's like a little, it's like a little heel for them just to get right over. It's not a big deal. And, and I, I always tell my guys, I'm like... They go, I can do that. It's so easy. And I go, no, no, no. What you don't understand is these guys have been trained in personality profiling, body language, eye contact, tonality. And they they make it look easy right. is the problem because they know when to listen. They know when to shut up. They know when to ask questions. And they also know when to talk. They match behaviors. And some of the people are born with it. Some of the people just the way they were raised and, and they were really born with it. But yeah, I, I mean, how long does it take to really get up? It's like a muscle. Like it's, yeah. if you use it all the time, you're just used to it. How long do you think it takes? Cause you went through it yourself. How long did it take you mentally to get over the rejection? Totally. So I think it kind of varies for everybody. I mean, for me and I, I, I always joke, like I'm a pathological people pleaser. So it took me a while, but the more that I did it and teaching it too has like taught me so much. And, and so now I luckily am one of those people who are like, completely rejection doesn't phase me. Like even the harshest criticism is just laughable because I've just reached this place where I've studied it and taught it for so long. So I think the cool thing though, is that when people read the book or they get told the story or that they get taught the philosophy, it's kind of like, you can never undo that. It's, it's like when somebody's shown you something, you're forever changed. And I think people forever remember like, oh, just go for it. So like one of the things that we talk about, one of the things I teach a lot is just the idea of executing and go for no moments. And every business has like these moments, whether you're a customer service rep on the phone with a prospect or you're following up with a customer or you're you're talking to a customer and you're, you're talking about what they're purchasing and maybe an upgrade and maybe something else. There's these moments where you have the opportunity to execute and ask like the next question. And if we can remember in our head, oh yeah, I was just told to go for no without like all the baggage of what does this mean? And what if they get mad? And what if they say no, just execute on those moments. That's so key. And people can start to do that right away. And the faster and the more they execute on those go for no moments, I think the faster they can really change and become someone who like feels like a different person. But here, here too is the like interesting thing about this. And This is like the challenge, I think, with all mindset stuff. That go for no is like, it's a principle or it's a philosophy based on a timeless principle. And the principle really is, like the fundamental principle is, you can't have success without failure. You can't get more yeses without getting more no's. Like they're opposite sides of the same coin. That is like the principle. And so if you say like, okay, if that's the principle, then what's the attached behavior to that. And the attached behavior to that is really asking. So we have to like help people with that mindset and help them remember. But the funny thing is that 
when you look at like any business, look at like McDonald's, right? The classic go for nose. Do you want fries with that? Like that's just classic. Or popcorn with a movie theater. Or popcorn at a movie theater. And machines, and this is kind of, this is like, it's kind of sad, right? Machines, AI. Machines who are trained to ask every single time because they're not, they don't have any emotional baggage. They don't have any like issues going on who just ask, hey, do you want this? Oh, do you want to upgrade this? Right? We see it all the time when we're like online and we're checking out from a store and, and there's a pop-up window that comes up and asks, those machines are incredibly efficient and they're incredibly good at generating revenue. Why? Because they ask every time. They don't prejudge. They don't make assumptions. They don't decide, oh, this person's already spent too much. They're never going to say yes to this, right? And so I think for go for no, it's try to do the behavior of asking as much as possible and the mindset will come along. But you start with the mindset. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the ask. I always tell my guys my favorite three letters, ASK, like, I've had the guys go to the front of the room with with several, you know, hundreds of people on. And I'm like, what was the breakthrough? And they're like, we followed the eight-step process and we just had to ask. And mm-hmm. and it's so simple. It's so, so it sounds like easy, you know, you go for no, but it's not. And and I look at a lot of consultants. I've hired a lot of consultants and through the years, because I know there's a, a consultant that that actually when he went into call centers, he would train them to make a certain amount of calls. And if they didn't do it, they could never move up in the company. And mm-hmm. the most successful ones, it was a, it was an exact equation of whoever made the most calls was always the highest in sales. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like just effort applied is output. And you're right. That's a certain ratio. Yeah. I don't I know mean, if they understand it or not. but Yeah. And so there's two pieces to it also, because like on one hand, and I, and I don't, I never want to like completely drill it down to, oh, Governor is just a numbers game. I mean, because one, and I didn't say this, this was actually somebody in our, in our other go for no for network marketing book. She says, go for no is a numbers game, but people aren't numbers, right? Because we don't want to treat people like numbers, which I completely 100% agree with. So there is this numbers game aspect to it, right? That, that is a part of it. But then also there's something that you can't teach. You were starting to allude to this earlier. You were like, hey, people get really good. They get good at, at watching for body language, buying signals. They, they learn to shut up. They start listening. And a lot of that can't be taught. A lot of that, it comes with experience. And I think also too, though, one of my favorite words along with go for no is just courage. And it's building the courage to say, I have to be an advocate for this person for our product, because they are scared. They're scared of making the wrong decision. They're scared that they're going to get screwed over by another supplier or contractor. They've had bad experiences with you know, other home service companies or, or providers or whatever who've done bad work or they lied to them or whatever. So that's, that's the unfortunate thing about sales, right? Is we're like always fighting that kind of this uphill battle of reputation. But we have to be, so that experience is being that advocate where you're helping people. I I like to say off the fence of indecision, like, listen, I know you didn't plan to spend this much on this thing. This problem happened to you this weekend. You weren't planning it. And now you're looking at an entire new garage or an entire new HVAC system and you weren't even planning it. Right. But here, here are the three reasons why you should do this now. And that that kind of salesmanship, and that is all go for no, I mean, that does take some experience. 
Yeah, what I tend to do is I spend a lot of time in the garage door myself. You know, I was out, I was a technician. And one day this this lady asked me, and probably right around my mom's age, is would you be telling me this if I was your mom? I mean, what, what would you do to your mom's door? And so one of my training is when you go back home to your market, we're in, I think, 16 states now. It's, it's hard to believe. We're growing so fast. <laughs> but I'm like, go back home and find the person you love the most, other than who you live with, your wife or husband. But if it's your uncle that raised you, if it's your grandpa, if it's your mom, whoever that is, I want you to go and do a complete overhaul. Make the garage door perfect. Do everything with the best parts. And, and like, it's not super expensive. So we go through this process and I'm like, that way you can look at clients and say, this is what I did for my grandfather because I love him. He raised me. And this is exactly what I'm recommending to you. Yes, I did this for my loved one. I believe in the process. I believe in the parts. I believe in the company. But if it was a real estate agent that was flipping the house, I might not want to do the lifetime parts and some of the best. You know, do what's best for the client if you were in their shoes. And I've always said, diagnose the person before you diagnose the problem. Mm-hmm. Is find out what's going on for them. Find out what is best. Best for for one person might not be the best for another person. And, you know, I, I got a lot of training on financing and there's four types of finance buyers, but it almost says everybody's a finance buyer under the right circumstances. If you can make it appealing to them, you know? Right. Yeah. I watched this guy. He did uh, 12 million in sales last year at an HVAC shop. And I watched him on the phone close a $32,000 sale. And he goes, you know what? He goes, interest rates are so high on credit cards. Now they're 20, 22%. He's like, we've got financing. We brought it all the way down to 10%. Same as cash. It's a 16-month program. And it's crazy. But it made it sound so much better. 10% to me is a high number. But when you drop it down from 22%, it all of a sudden sounds great, right? Right. That kind of conversation, like that comes back to just having courage to share that instead of just talking yourself out of it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've seen today I was, I was talking at our meeting while uh, we have a 7am on Thursdays with the entire staff. And uh, I said, I called up a guy named Steve and I said, Steve goes through a checklist and marks every single thing. He doesn't skip the checklist. He's got a routine and that's what we all should be doing. I got a lot of stuff here, questions, but what's the difference between these two go for no and go for no marketing. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up actually. So go for no is the original, the the smaller one fable that really kind of teaches the, well, it's a, it's a fun story and it teaches like the fundamental principle of go for no and a couple strategies as well. So go for no for network marketing, we wrote in 2017. And the reason we even wrote it was that one, that particular industry is just, they very much gravitate toward go for no philosophies because their business is all about having to talk to strangers, having to share about their products, about their opportunities. So network marketing is is pretty big for us in in that way. But also one of our biggest success stories is the co-author of that book. His name's Ray Higdon. We spoke at his company's event years ago. He heard us, he bought our training materials, he read the book, and he's like, okay, well, I can do this. I'm just going to go for 20 no's a day. I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to people everywhere all the time. I'm going to eat no's, drink no's, sleep no's. Like, I'm just going to go for no all the time. And, and that's what he did. And he says to this day, like a lot of people can't 
do this. They can't stomach it. They can't handle it. But he was highly, highly motivated. And I may be kind of screwing up the timeline of his story, but I mean, he was in debt. He was tired. He was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, he was in foreclosure. He had um, bill collectors chasing him. And he was like, I have got to turn my life around and I'm going to do it by getting results in my company. And so he did. He got 20 no's a day, which gave him, as I said, you hear more no's, you're going to hear more yeses, which catapulted him to the number one earner in this organization. And yeah, he became very successful. He ended up starting his own company, training other people in direct sales and network marketing. And he talks about go for no. And he, he talks a lot about really interesting concepts about no and and so we said, hey, Ray, do you want to like, let's take the ideas in the original, but let's kind of blow them up and expand upon them from like how you applied them in your business. So that's what that book is. So it is actually very different. I love it. No, I, I, I'm going to go through that one. I, and then I got this. Yes. <laughs> yes. You have everything we've created. Yeah. So hey, that... I, you know, I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> what can I say? And that one we created during the pandemic. So there you go. So what I want to do is we, we talked to you and Gianni kind of went back and forth a little bit, but I want to do a boot camp and really get some of your online classes. I want to get it out to the masses. And uh, home service is a pretty big niche. We get roughly 40,000 downloads a month on a good month, sometimes less. Uh, it fluctuates depending on the time of year. But uh, a lot of people listen to this. And I think there's... I wouldn't have every book and every single thing you guys published if I didn't believe in, in the process. So we'll get that going and we'll just stay in communication and get this on the agenda. But uh, talk to me about the five failure levels and how to progress from level one to level five. Right. Okay. Glad you asked that too. So if the principle basically of go for no is that yes is the destination, no is how you get there can't have yeses without you want more yeses in your life, you're going to have to hear more no's. It's that simple. So we, we encourage people to go through the five failure levels. We talk about that this in the book a little bit. So level one is the ability to fail. It's where we all start. Everybody has the ability to fail. Level two is the willingness to fail. And that's where most people get after listening to something like this. Like hopefully they hear me talk and they say, okay, I'm willing to hear know a little bit more. Like I'll ask here and there and try to hear no more often. But willingness is only part of the way. It's a great kind of level to get to. I mean, if you can move from just the ability to fail to the willingness to fail. And when we say fail, we're, we're talking about hearing no, like we're using that interchangeably because everybody thinks when they get a no that it's failure. So that's why we're using that interchangeably. Level three, though, is the wantingness to fail. And that's where it can have the biggest impact. That's where it can make the biggest difference in not only your results, but also your mindset. And that the perfect example for that is that you go to sleep at night and you say, how was my day? Like what you kind of run through your day? Like what happened? Was this a productive day or was it just okay? And you think back through everything and you go, wow, I never heard no one time. I never asked. I was in this situation with this customer. I didn't say anything. I, I was following up with this prospect. 
didn't ask, just kind of let it go. Like I just went through the day and I never asked. When you have the wantingness to fail, when you reach level three, you're like, I want to hear, you're like Ray Higdon was. I want to hear 20 no's a day. And if you're not that hardcore, that's okay. I say like, you know, that saying an apple a day (laughs) keeps the doctor away. A no a day keeps a bad business away. And it depends, right? I mean, if you're if you're a customer service rep and you're taking 20 opportunity calls a day, I understand you're going to hear a lot more no's, right? So you have to kind of think about these numbers. But if you're not hearing no, then you're not, you haven't reached the level of wantingness. I love it. You know, I tell people I'm a recruiter. I say I'm a recruiter. I love software. We're involved in sales and we have a graduate business. <laughs> but I always am recruiting whether it's a busboy at a restaurant, um, getting a haircut. And the answer for that is not necessarily no. It's, it's, oh, I'll keep this in mind. But if there's a way of saying it to say, look, if you're ever looking for a career, I'd love for you to come in and help build something together. The only time I think it's bad to ask the question is, should I get a raise? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nice. <laughs> I'm, you just, know- I'm sure a lot of my boys are listening to this going, I'm going to go for no. Yeah. And I apologize for that. And when they do though, let's get this set up. So we'll, we'll make sure that you have the appropriate answer. When they do ask you for your raise, you go like, listen, congratulations. I am very proud of you for going for no. The answer is no, (laughs) but you literally, you showed a lot of courage. So I applaud you and get back to work. Um, (laughs) No, it's great. Yeah. Interesting thing about recruiting too. We did a lot of what the training that we did when we launched our company back in the day was teaching retailers how to recruit and having that conversation and really figuring out what's the one thing that's missing in that person's life and matching it up to them and saying, you know, it's interesting. The one thing that's missing in your life is the one thing I can offer you. And people will switch jobs for that, even if everything else is perfect. And it really is. You so can- how do you get to that? Obviously, that's a lot of question asking, I think. You got to yeah, the, so, five, the five whys. So no. So our process was when you see a candidate that looks good, you do a little reconnaissance, you find out a little bit like what their name is and everything. And you contact them later and try to set up a meeting, not an interview, just literally like a casual meeting so that you can ask a couple questions and let them know like, this is not you like begging, like, oh my God, you're amazing. You I need you on my team because that like switches the power dynamic, but it's just, you ask a couple questions of them and then you ask something like, what's like the most, the thing that's like the worst thing about where you're at now. Like what's usually it's the number one reason is poor relationship with my supervisor. And so then you just paint a quick picture of, well, here's what it's like to look work for us. Managers are amazing. You meet with your supervisor every six months. We pay based on performance, blah, blah, blah. This could be an amazing opportunity if you'd like to ha- come in for a formal interview, meaning this is not a done deal. You still have to interview. You still have to drug test. You still have to do whatever, but at least we can start the process. I like that. They call it a pain funnel in, in, in Sandler training. Mm-hmm. Is that When I did landscaping um, my early 20s, I used to ask, Right now, what would you say the biggest thing is on your nerves? And the guy goes, well, they come during the morning, Monday through Friday, and they blow and it gets all over the cars and the people getting out. And I said, oh my gosh, really? You got to be kidding me. 
And so I said, what if we came on the weekends? And literally, I think I found three things that he hated and I just pounced those things. And he's like, yeah, we'll switch. Yeah. And, um, a lot of times people will make a statement, wow, that's expensive. And, and we had some sales coaching from Joe Crisara and he goes, yeah, we understand we're a little bit more on the price side, but it's a better value. So, so what should we do? <laughs> Literally. So what should we do? Yeah. And what I love about that phrase is my guys say it all the time now is, yeah, we realize that. Yeah. So this is why, you know, we're going to answer the first call. We're going to be here for your service ongoing. We're not going out of business. What should we do? Yeah. And I love, I love that. It. <laughs> the barrier is right. a lot of silence involved. And then um, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, there's another guy that says, um, man, I'm brain farting, but he's another sales coach. He goes, now, really? Because what makes you say that? And what he does is, no oh, matter what. Yeah. Is that, um, oh, my God, I can't. Remember. I know. It's killing me. Uh, he's yeah, super I have his book. Yeah, I have, a, I have his book. And one day, my general manager had to go up on stage with him, and, and he goes, you know, and it was so funny. Oh, my gosh, I'm brain farting. He's, he's an amazing spokesperson. He used to sell gutters for a while. He used to go on with a GoPro. And and uh, anyway, he goes, oh, really? What makes you say that? Mm-hmm. And we used to play this game. We need to start doing it more. Is I used to say, ask a question. Whoever asks the questions, the best wins today. And no matter what anybody asks you, you got to return it with a question. So, so it'll be like, mm-hmm. we did this the other day, a couple meetings ago, a couple Thursday meetings ago. Is He said, uh, well, how much is it? And I said, well, it depends on a few things. What makes you ask that question? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so, it's such a power move to say that, I feel like. And Absolutely. I think what I love about it is, you know, I'm, I, I really believe in honesty in sales. And what we know, though, is that, and this guy, um, Ron Martin, who used to, who wrote uh, a bunch of retail books in the retail industry, he always said buyers were liars, right? Without being disrespectful, but the reality is you're never going to learn the truth. So when you ask somebody what makes you say that, you've, very quickly cut through all the BS and get to the heart of their objection. Um, You know, like, oh, what makes me say that? Well, any service that says they could do this and this is going to be in the four figures a month or something. So that's why I say that. And then you go, oh, okay. So this is a price thing and you're concerned that you're going to get into like a long contract or maybe you, you think it's this or that. And now you really are being able to manage those objections. I mean, so much of that is go for no. Like one of the questions we get asked all the time is, well, can you turn a no into a yes? Like, can you take that opportunity? And the answer is absolutely. But that just takes a little bit of skill. The very first step in the process with go for no that we try to do is, especially when it comes to like prospecting type things, is we we keep people from just getting that no and turning and running, <laughs> like and hang or hanging up. Like, ah, I gotta know. Like slow down, calm down. Now think about your response and very carefully, calmly think about what your next move is. That's step one. And then you have the opportunity to manage that no. Yeah, I think isolating the objections is a great thing. And what I find is even if they say, you know, I need to talk to my husband or I need to talk to my wife. The answer to that question is, oh, that makes sense. That's exactly what I would do before I make a financial decision like this. And I, I respect that. What do you think she's going to say? Mm-hmm. It's the same question as, as, you know, oh, really, what makes you say that? It's what do you, what do you think she's going to say? Right. She's going to say it's a lot more than we had budgeted for something like, okay, well, you know, that's why we have, and then right. it, you're still isolating the objection. 
And my, my favorite is too is uh and if like she was or he was completely on board, would you go ahead? And then I'll tell you the next secret is you book the appointment when he or she's there. If you don't have both decision makers there, is you say, When is your wife gonna be home? Why don't I just swing back here? And, and the nice thing is we do have options. And I wanna make sure we get the right option for you because we do have the MacGyver special. I don't you know, I don't like we, we call it a um sometimes we call it a band-aid fix. There's a good book right here that he tells us what to call it. Uh, Maximum Influence is uh, instead of more economical. We've got a more economical uh, Yes. And then he says instead of the expensive one called Top of the Line. So it's and interesting, it, Tommy, that we're talking about all this because here's the thing. Like this to me, like some of this, I know people are saying are like, this, some of this is advanced. Like some of this is advanced salesmanship and the only way, and this is why I'm such a proponent of like the failure way to success mindset. And we, we, we were still on the wantingness to fail here is that unless you're willing to try and fail on these things, it's the only way to learn. Like people hesitate and they, they think like, I don't have the right words and I'm not skilled enough to do these things. You've got to get out there and you've got to practice. And yeah, you might say the MacGyver fix, right? Which I think is actually kind of hilarious, but it's not what you meant to say. But people have got to give themselves permission to fail. When they do that and they allow themselves the permission to fail, then they can start trying things with customers. They can start trying things with prospects on the phone. And that's how you get better. That's how you get good. You know, I've been really talking to my staff, in particular, the senior staff, about delegation. And a lot of them tend to say, well, if I can't do it, this is the small mindset. This is the Michael Gerber thing of just, if I don't do it, it won't be done right. And I say this, this is the new thing I came up with because I just got a dog. I don't have kids yet. I want kids. But I said, you guys have kids. A lot of them do have kids. And I said, that'd be much easier to do their homework for them. And it'd be much easier to keep them on the back of your bicycle. But I know one thing about you guys. You want them to be better than you. And you're going to be patient. You're going to sit down and you're going to work through the problems together. You're going to try to make them stronger. When you teach them how to ride a bike, I guarantee you, when you take those training wheels off, they're going to fall. You're going to give them elbow pads and knee pads and the best helmet possible. But I'll tell you this, the more they fall, the more they get back up and they won't fall again because you're going to teach them the right way as they continue to make these mistakes. And I said too often, as a leader, as a coach, we tend to say, why in the hell did they mess that up? And the thing is, if we were patient, like they were our kids, we'd go, yeah, you made a mistake, but let's not make the same mistake twice. And I always go for failure. I tell people, they go, what's your secret to success? And I said, failure is I've failed every which way from Sunday. But the thing is, I don't try to make the same mistakes twice. And I'm the first one to ask for direction. This morning when I talked to these guys, I go, 20 of you guys are going home. The biggest mistake I see is you're not willing to raise your hand and say, I need more help because we always need help. And I'm the first one to ask for help or read a book or go ask a consultant. And I think that's kind of my blessing and the curse is, you know, I do ask for a lot of advice all the time. And I like to bounce things off, off of people. I keep like five people near me to just bounce things off of. And I remember uh, that this is a quick story. Uh, I was a busboy at Cheesecake Factory and I won three of the football pools where you pick the teams mm-hmm. who, who's going to win. And these guys go, you barely watch football. How the hell do you win every single time? And I go, there was three guys I'd always call. One of them was my uncle. And I'd ask them about, I'd go through it with them. And I picked whoever had the most. I'd put a check next to the one that they said the most. And I'd win all the time. And they, it's people ask you, what's your success? I say, it's literally asking questions around smarter people. That's awesome. 
you invented phone a friend right before <laughs> for the millionaire game show. Right? Yeah, when yeah, yeah, calls yeah. And, and hopefully you've called the smartest friend, you know, or family member on that What's particular topic. It starts with an R. Ring- Regis. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's a great show. I, I used to love that. Who wants to be a millionaire? Yep. So, you know, we kind of touched upon it, but how can you tell if a potential customer's no is a hard, firm no, or if there's room to change their mind? Well, I think, I mean, from a go for no standpoint, like if you have someone that is qualified, so one of the ways that you that you can use go for no is just to quickly qualify people, right? So if you sell security systems and you are cold calling and you get somebody who lives in an apartment building and you say, hey, I, I'm calling with ABC security and we want to set you up and blah, blah, blah. No amount of selling is going to have that person buy a security system in the apartment building where they've got great security. I live in a high rise, so that's kind of the situation for us. That's why I bring that up. So that's easy disqualification. But let's say you're calling and you get a homeowner out in wherever and they don't have a security system and they need one, then the question is, when will they eventually decide? And this is such a huge piece of go for no, which is sticking around, follow up, depending on your business model is follow up with people who aren't ready yet. And a lot of times you just need to own real estate in people's minds long enough. They need to see a marketing message or two come through, right? They're unsure. They want to read the reviews. They want to read the testimonials. They want to get comfortable. And eventually though, since you've even planted the seed now at this point, it's like, they're going to probably get a security system. The question will be, will you be there when they finally go like, fine, we'll do it. Have you made it attractive enough? Have you followed up? So the answer is absolutely. And, and that is all in the follow-up. You know, this is a ladder I just drew on the back of a piece of paper. And this, there's a buyer's ladder. If you put buy at the top and not buy at the bottom, you got to understand what prong they're on and how to get them to go up the steps. And a lot of it is the buying cycle. Is I always mm-hmm. say Facebook's a great source of marketing, but it gets a lot higher. First, it's product knowledge. And the turnaround time is nothing like Google. Google's like instant. Hey, I need something done. Mm-hmm. You're building demand with Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's almost like... Um, and it, it's used a lot too for branding. But I think... you know I met a, a really, really smart guy, one of my clients. He spends about a million dollars a year with us for garage doors. And I went out to dinner with him and he goes, Tommy, in sales, your job is to teach your employees where clients are at in the buyer cycle and be able to move them up fast through that cycle. Or the worst is when you don't get a no, it's a maybe. (laughs) I'd rather have a hard no or not now and then just create a drip system Mm -hmm. than to spend all the time with maybes. So one of the things that Joe had taught us is the right to rescind our bid if they're not willing to do it. Because quite honestly, I've had four price increases in the last what, four months? Oh, so mm-hmm. this bid is only good for 15 days and put scarcity in it. Do you, are you familiar with Robert Cialdini? He wrote the book Influence. Absolutely. Yeah. Scarcity. And um, that is a great strategy. And these days with costs, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 100% true. I mean, costs are skyrocketing. I mean, it's definitely not one of those things that I'm like, oh, well, like literally now we're like, this is only good for this much time because, right. you know, I... Tara was texting me about the vans because they're so 
there's a huge supply chain issue with microchips. Mm-hmm. And right now we had to order 350 uh, droids. The vehicles right now, they're not there. And so she's like, would you take a, uh, a vehicle with side windows, like a, one of the big express vans? And I'm like, Ugh. you know, the fact is I might have to take it. It, it kind of sucks, but um, it's interesting now because there's true supply chain issues. And a lot of people do things that, especially maybe home service that maybe retail doesn't do like, like, like uh, of course, retail ex- coupons expire, but for the most part, home service is just treated differently. And I always ask people, why, why are you, let's make a deal. I had a technician of mine that used to always say out the door. And I'm like, quit saying out the door. Like we got to pay taxes. Like just remove that phrase from your, like maybe you needed to get it done one time where a guy said, Hey, can you do that price out the door? But why did you stick it on everything? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of right. I had a guy, Larry Verdon asks, what's the transition from no to yes? And how many no's to get that yes? And I think that's more of a trial and error thing, but what is your take on that? Yeah. Well, it probably takes a lot more no's than I think people realize. And you just have to make a decision, like what your business model is. And if you're willing to stick it out to go through those no's in order to get to the yes. And sometimes you literally can do that on the phone with somebody, right? Who you go through, uh, you ask good questions, you review what they told you, you make a recommendation based on everything you told me, I think you should do this. And then they kind of go back and forth. And then you ask a couple other questions and they go like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem like something I can do. And then you make another recommendation and you make another suggestion and hey, costs are going up and you probably want to do this before the summer. Whatever your process is, you're going to get a lot of no and a lot of hesitation. It comes back to being that advocate for that customer. This also, this kind of question reminded me too about the fourth failure level, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah, four yeah. Yeah, we, we stopped on four. <laughs> so so we, were, we were on five or on three, which is wanting this. So level four is about failing bigger and faster. And this has to do with going for no fast. So a lot of qualification, right? Taking calls. If this person is qualified, keep going. If they're not, let them go quickly. And getting those big, like scary no's. Every business has the opportunity to go after like the best neighborhood in the entire city. Like why not serve the customers who have the money to spend and they want, they want excellence and all of that or whatever the case may be. But those seem scarier. Those prospects seem like harder to get or they're in with the competition or whatever. So we call those going after big no's. Going after the big no. I think that's kind of like asking for a raise. You know what's crazy is it's true that asking, I've gotten some yeses that I never thought possible. I mean, I make it a point that back in the day before I was on Southwest, I'd always ask, do you happen to have any upgrades to first class? I get them all the time. I have a buddy of mine, Johnny. He asks every time at the hotel front desk, do you have any upgrades for suites? And they say, yeah, you're a valued client. We actually do have an opening. We get upgrades all the time. I mean, when we used to travel more. And I'm like, you just never know. That's a great way of just asking for something that maybe you wouldn't have normally asked. 
before. 100%. That's just a great way to practice. We, I do that all the time too. I love it. I mean, to me, it's just fun. In fact, there was a guy named Leo Quinn who he did the, it wasn't this past summer. I think it was the summer of 2019. He did the summer of 1000 no's. And every day he was trying to get a no. It was like through the, it was like July, August and September or something. And he got to 1000. I talked to him like on the last day, he literally got under the wire and it was everything that you can imagine. There was some guys doing like asphalt repair out on the street. And he was like, Hey, one of his no's was, Hey, will you guys come do my driveway? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, but you have to have this certain kind of beer. And he was like, no, forget it. So it kind of fell apart, but it was just like funny nose. I mean, he was going for no, like in every kind of situation you can imagine. And he got him and he got a lot of yeses. You know what? One of the coolest go for no, I can think of right now for home service people that are listening is tell your technicians and your employees to go out there and ask for reviews and actually ask for the reviews. And the difference is, is the way that I explain a review is I say, listen, because I used to be a server and a bartender. I say, listen, the boss is having a competition. We get to go to dinner with him next week and we got some gift cards. So I always have fun things going on for reviews. It really mean a lot to me personally, if you mentioned my name, because we are having a competition and, and I'm a competitive guy, I like to win. And, and when I used to do that, when I served tables, I'd always get them from everybody. And no one cares about leaving a review for the company. You care about the individual. So the difference with the go for no of it is, is first, I'm going to ask for one on Google. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to ask for a testimony on Facebook. Then I'm going to ask for one on Nextdoor. Then I'm going to ask for one on Yelp. Then I'm going to have you go to the BBB. And eventually you're going to say, dude, no, I'm done. I, I've already done enough. But you can actually practice it just on the review side. I've always said, why get one review per customer? Why not get 10? Well, why not get them started in the beginning? Say, am I doing a good job? Am I giving you five out of five service? And I always say five out of five service because there's five stars on everything. Yeah, I think that's genius. And if I, I mean, my best advice, if you have a home service business, you go back to the beginning of your entire process, everything that you do in your business and look for the go for no moments in everything that you do from the very beginning, from the time that a marketing message is seen to somebody calls and just asks like, hey, what's the deal or sends in an online inquiry, whatever, is what are all of those go for no moments and how well are we executing on those? Because, I mean, this doesn't increase your costs at all. We're not talking about hiring more people. You don't have to buy an extra building. You don't have to buy an extra truck. This is literally taking the stuff that you're doing now and just saying, let's execute on these a little bit better at the moment. So the review is a perfect example. You want to raise your average ticket. Uh, You probably have some kind of great valuable feature that needs to be upgraded. So in that moment, it's hey, another feature that people love is XYZ. Would you like to go ahead and add that on while we're doing the main service? And so these one, these two or three go for no moments, these behaviors well executed can increase your revenue, I don't know, 10, 20, 50%. And you didn't spend a dime doing it. Well, there, there's two trades of thoughts that make me think of right now. First of all, and this, it's a good book, Bob Pfeiffer says, uh, double your profits in six months or less. He explains, call every one of the people you work with, call your cable company, call your alarm company and say, look, I want 10% off. Like you ask and believe it or not, sometimes you shall receive a lot of the time. Ask your suppliers, they need to do a little bit better. 
so not only increasing revenue, but one of the things we make a lot of money on, like a lot, a lot of money is, have you ever thought about replacing this? Because it's a non-insulated door. If you got a brand new opener, I'm still going to ask you, do you want a new opener with some of the bells and whistles and technology? Unless you've got the one that I'm talking about. A lot of people are like, look, if you're an air conditioning company, and you're not talking about air quality. You're crazy, especially with COVID. There's so many opportunities if you really write down. You know what I do? I ask everybody for a testimonial. Here's what I do. I do, Andrea, I'll leave you a video testimonial. I love your book so much. I'm going to get this. I'm going to talk all about the book. I'm going to make you look like a million bucks. And what I'd ask for is you put my video on your site just with a link to A1 Garage Doors. So I'll put a little paragraph about how much I love your book. And just what I'm doing is I'm building links. I got one from my bank, Western State Bank. Put it on their website of me talking about how much I love our relationship. And that's a great way. There's so many things if you really think about it to go for now. I'm just giving some ideas out there. That is so true. And I love that. And so, yeah, you can absolutely, I mean, go for no in marketing, like go for no with those kind of partnerships with the other businesses and all of that. And funny that you talked about asking for discount. I love doing that. It's it's just kind of fun. And so literally I was on the phone with AT&T and I was switching something up a couple months ago. And then at the end of the call, she's like, okay, well, did I solve your problem to the your satisfaction, everything. And I said, I said, yeah, just before we hang up, I said, is there like any other discount that I need to know about? (laughs) She goes, uh, well, yeah, I can give you $20 off just this month. I said, why not go for it? I mean, like, you know, if I'm at a store buying a phone, I'm always like, can you throw in this screen cover if I buy the phone today? Or I can come back another day. I I don't really need it right now. You'll get it. You'll get it. It's like, I remember I, I told this story last week as I was five years old and my dad brings me to a garage sale and there was a CB radio and it was $20 and it had a piece of scotch tape and my dad saw me pull up the antenna and it was used. But we walked away and I walked to the car and he could kind of tell I was I had my head down and he goes, Tommy, come over here. And I said, what, dad? And he goes, here. And he pulls out five bucks and he goes, go get that CB radio. But I said, okay, I need 15 more dollars. And I was real happy. And he goes, no, no, no. You're going to go get it for five. And I said, dad, the price tag on it says 20. And he goes, just just do me a favor. Walk up to her and say, would you take $5 for it and point at me? So I'm walking up there real slow. I was really worried. And I go, ma'am, I was just wondering, would you take $5 for the CB radio? My dad was wondering if you take that. And he's waving at her from there. And she goes, absolutely. She sold it to me for $5. That was my first negotiation. And I'll never forget that story. I should I should tell my dad about that later. Beautifully done. I love it. And that is, I mean, yeah. So you're learning go for no at a young age. You know, the, the thing is, is you're really right, is, is ask all the time. And most of the time you get a yes. Not in everything, but there, there's a nice way of asking. I'll tell you my problem is like when I was in, in my dating days in high school or even in the early 20s, I used to wait for eye contact and basically ensure myself a yes because you saw the other person was interested instead of just going out there and putting myself on the line of, but there's something, and it wasn't really, like I I never really thought a lot about like maybe I'm not good enough or anything like that. That's not what was going through my mind, but the fear of rejection was real, was super real. So I was really safe. And I'm like, ooh, I got the eye and a smile. Now I know I'm good. I probably still have a lot of that. I mean, obviously it's not the same as it was in that regard, but it's how do you live in that uncomfortable zone? I think it's a muscle, but how do you see yourself? You've trained so many people. How do you get out of that comfort level? 
because just the more you do it, the better you get. That's all there is to it. And you get used to the fact that, I mean, this is, this is like a just true in all entrepreneurship. I always say that being an entrepreneur is like, um, I don't love turbulence on airplanes. I'm not great with it. I'm certainly not great with it when it's like really bad. I start freaking out. But when you get on and, and you're on an airplane, there's always a little bit of it. And so there's always this like underlying little bit of turbulence. And eventually what I've learned is after flying so many times, you just kind of settle in and you go like, okay, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be a little. And that is what being an entrepreneur is like. There's always this underlying turbulence every now and then boom, you get some pocket of air, your drink goes flying. You didn't expect it. it then it, things calm down. That's what it is. But you're just constantly used to that, that underlying fear and uncertainty. And I think the more that you practice go for no, the more that you do it, the fact that we're wired to not get rejected, you start to realize, you know what, I'm not going to die. I'm actually, I'm safe doing this. And you start seeing enough results down the line, two results, one literal results, you make more money, you get things, etc. The girl of your dream says yes to you, whatever. But also your confidence starts to build. And my favorite definition of confidence is from Jack Canfield, who we interviewed for our Go For No movie. And he said, building of self-confidence is the successfully surviving of a risk. So when you survive enough of these personal risks, that is how your self-confidence builds. And that's really how your comfort zone ends up growing to where you go like, wow, I used to, I used to like really get nervous before asking somebody this or before suggesting the upgrade to the customer. And now I don't even get phased, like not at all. So it's just doing it enough. You know, I told, uh, I've got this on the wall. I said, you guys know my, my quote on the wall, life begins. I got it right here. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Right where your comfort zone stops is when the real life begins. So I think outside of the box, I was with, I've got a guy that I, I work with. His name is Lenny Gray. He's the door-to-door millionaire. He wrote a couple of books. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, hey, I'd like to go door knocking one day with you. And he goes, get out of here. And everybody's like, yeah, right. And I, I went, and I, I got to tell you, I do a lot of things, but door knocking, I remember inviting my neighbors to a get together and they look at me and I go, I'm just a neighbor. I'm just inviting you to, I'm having a party. But we went in rejection after rejection after rejection after, and he didn't even, he's like, dude, this, no big deal. He's like, whatever. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, I'd recommend, and I've never done this. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but door knocking was interesting. Or I don't know how people do it, but standing on a corner and asking for money, <laughs> that would be the ultimate experience of like, if you wanted to do a documentary, that's tough. Is I'm always like, you know, and I've given a lot of money, five bucks here. A lot of times I'll reach into my bag of whatever. I just got to give them a burger or something, but that's some serious rejection. Like, I want to ask you these, some closing questions, but I want to, I really want to go through this with you. Me and you'll get on the phone. And we'll talk about doing some fun things for the group on Facebook and really getting involved on your online platform. You've got a lot of other opportunities to really get people into this and really make them accountable to it. So First of all, how do we get a hold of you if, if we want to reach out? Well, I'm well branded, Tommy. So it's go for no. You type in go for no, like at go for no. I'm at go for no on Twitter. I'm at go for no on Instagram. You type in go for no on Google. You will absolutely find me. Okay. And give me three books, random books that you recommend. 
Can't be Michael Gerber. You know what's really a good book is you might know of it. I, I think you will. Uh, the Consistency Chain. Yes. It. Yes. <laughs> By, uh, yeah, George and Jim are great guys. Yeah, absolutely. Three books. Well, I'll tell you one of the books that tremendously helped me that was really the emotional mindset thing that I needed for Go For No was called The Four Agreements. So that is for your listeners. I'm just warning them. It's very touchy-feely, woo-woo kind of stuff. It's not businessy. If you're like really have a problem with taking no personally and communication and the, the soft skills part of Go For No, I would highly recommend that book. Okay. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> then now this could just be like all of my favorite. Maybe it could be the Bible. I, you know, anything you want, just something that's near and dear to you that it could be, what is it? The five love languages. I don't, you know, whatever you think. So another really cool book is ask for more. I, I just recently read that that's from Alexandra Carter and it's a negotiation book. Really I good. I love that. It just sounds cool. Yeah. And so she kind of comes at things. She's a Columbia law professor. She's super smart. She comes at things like with kind of the whole lawyer mindset, but it's very readable. Like it's not a stuffy textbook at all. And it's really about kind of opening dialogue when you're having to negotiate. And I think for people who have to do business negotiations, it's really, it would be really helpful as well. So that's another one that I just read that I love. And what else am I reading? I'm reading uh, the new book from Ryan Holiday about stoicism. And I can't remember what it's called. He's great. Yeah. yeah. He, he's a smart dude. that talks a lot about um, just kind of getting involved with like the media and how to pick stuff. It's crazy. Some of the stuff I've read from him, you know, I was going to tell you, if you get a chance, this guy, Steve Sims, he came on the podcast about a year ago, maybe more a year and a half ago. It's called Blue Fishy. Yeah. And here's what you need to do. You need to read it, and then you need to call me. And I want to see what you think of it. It was a cool book that was given to me years ago. And uh, I think you'll really dig it. Blue Fishy. I-N-G. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to... Oh, by the way, you. <laughs> some people have said they've already bought the book, which is great. We're going to do something special for the listeners. I, I think you and Gianni had talked about as far as how to get the uh, book. Yes. So at our website, we have a coupon code from you because you were like, Andrea, help out my listeners. So I asked you. <laughs> you asked. You go, you, and I asked you to be on the podcast and look where we are. We got all, you got all kinds of yeses though. So A1G is the coupon code. A1G. Yeah. A1G. Remember that, guys. And then, so how many comes in a case of books? I, I don't even remember how many I bought. 96 per case. And what did I buy? You bought two cases. So I bought a couple hundred books because I look, look, if I bought 200, you should at least buy one. Would you, <laughs> would you like to get a third case? See, you know what? I probably will. You know, that wasn't a no, just, it was a yes, just not today. All right, um, all right. That's fine. And then the last thing I asked is maybe we missed something along the way. Uh, I'm sure there's a million things, but uh, I kind of like to leave it up to whoever I have on the guest speaker to finish with a final thought, maybe a take action now or, or whatever it might be that you feel like we might have not talked enough about. Well, we didn't. And this is this is something that we'll get into deep on the training with that workbook that you had in your hand, which is setting no goals. So we're not even going to go into that because that's way too Which we, We're going to do this. Yeah, we're go for that, it. that workbook. Um, I would just suggest that people do a little assessment of 
their customer service reps, who, you know, their salespeople, everybody who is interfacing with customers and prospects and get everybody to create a no awareness at first. Like, are we hearing no? Are we doing everything we can to avoid no? Or are we asking enough questions? So start with the no awareness just to be mindful of it and then start practicing. And then the final kind of leadership concept is we got to be celebrating people who try and get a no not just always, and we love celebrating the results. Yes, pays the bills, no doubt, but celebrate even when somebody tries something and they fail or they get a no. You know, I just want to add one thing. I, I've got a consultant that came in a couple of weeks ago and he celebrates when there's mistakes because it's an opportunity to fix the process. And I got to tell you, he specializes in lean manufacturing and he goes, it's the process that breaks the outcome. So when we find something, like give a gift card to the employees that find poke holes and problems. So I think you're absolutely right. We should celebrate the no's. And um, we're gonna figure this out with you, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on today. I had my a pleasure. Oh my gosh, so much fun, yes. I could do this for days. I, you know, I get a lot out of this and I get to ask my questions. And this is like therapy for me. So I appreciate you being on. And then uh, we're going to set all this up. I'll definitely be in touch with you to uh, get as much from this as possible. I want the listeners to get a lot more too. Awesome. Thanks, Tommy. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review. Make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it, to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.